0: podcast with Neil Hannum and Esther Ferreira. So um, Esther and I met at the parish and uh, Aaron said that we needed to meet and of course I'm always ready to meet anybody but the reason we needed to meet is the reason we're going to talk today and that's because Esther and I grew up as Christadelphians. Yes we did. You know, the truth for the Christadelphians, Let's we'll, we'll deconstruct that for everybody that's listening. Um, you know, you, some of you have heard me sp- speak a bit about it earlier, about the Christadelphian journey. And it's a very heavy-duty doctrinal truth. You know, you, there's a bunch of verses that have to be strung together and in some ways taken out of context and put together in this, this notion that we've arrived at this prophetic end times. And... Uh, that that's a lot of the journey. Do you want to add some some of where you came from on that truth journey?
1: Well, definitely, the um, the end of times is something that carries a lot of weight in Christadelphian tradition. Um, there's, I mean, there's a strong commitment to the bible saying we're not going to know the day or the hour but there's also a strong commitment to finding reasons to explain to ourselves ourselves being the Christadelphians of whichever group um that we are very much in fact in the last moments of the last days and that Christ will be returning any moment now to set up his kingdom um and that's the ultimate goal um If you're lucky, you'll get to be alive when the kingdom is set up, but if you're not, well, you'll be raised to enjoy the um, gift of immortal life as a reward for having lived a life committed to the standards and statutes that the Christadelphians of whichever kind adhere to. Um... And there are a variety of Christadelphians out there. And the differences to most outsiders would seem fairly insignificant on the surface, but they're very important to each group of, of Christadelphians. I come from the Don Christadelphian group, and um, one of the things that they're very proud of is that there is no allowance scripturally for divorce and remarriage. Divorce is sometimes necessary, and if it has to happen, then okay, but you, you can't remarry. Um, and the other large group of Christadelphians that's out there at the moment <clears throat> is central Christadelphians. And they're not quite so worried about the divorce and remarriage point. Um, it's, they kind of feel like, well, it's a good idea to stay married if you've decided to get married, but if you don't, well, that's okay.
0: You know, that's, uh, the divorce thing is very interesting, because it, it was certainly part of growing up for me when my parents' marriage was in trouble, and um, although my mom tells me she was fine with this, they wouldn't serve her communion for a long period of time.
1: That doesn't surprise me.
0: You know, and I didn't, as a kid, you think, <laughs> oh yeah, Christadelphians is the center of the world, you got the truth, and then, um, and then I remember I was like 14, what do you mean there's another group of, amended Christadelphians? <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Like, I thought we were the boss team. Like, how yeah. did this other team come along? <laughs> and it was one of those moments, in addition to, um, you know, the pressure on me as a kid growing up, that 1987 was going to be, okay, we're, closing the, we're shutting the lights off on the whole world here. Um, so there's the, the world's ending, we got the truth, but there's another group that says they have the truth. That was one of the reasons that really took me out of, uh, of the Christadelphians. And... Um, it's such a complicated truth, such as the expression goes. Um, And if we compare that to the parish where you and I met, Esther, you know, Aaron has this great gift of uh, simplifying things in a way that just kept blowing my mind. Hmm. And it it was that kind of journey that started, I mean, I had left the Christadelphians now, 30 years ago, so it's been, I've had lots of time to deconstruct it, but it certainly accelerated when uh, you come here and say, well, you listen to Aaron and, you know, crowd of going into this town, crowd of people, and where does he go? Epidemus, in the tree. The the broken soul, you know? That's not how the Christadelphians really saw the world. There was a lot more rules and darkness and What's your thought on that? Because you're relatively new to the parish as well.
1: Well, I mean, I can I can only speak to the Dawn experience because I didn't really spend any time in contact with any other branch of Christadelphia. Um, but I think the discussions you and I have had, I think it's probably fairly translatable across to the different kinds of Christadelphians out there. Um, the way Jesus did things when he was here is one thing because he was setting the example. He was he was setting the bar. Um, you know, he was in the process of creating the words that would be written down later by the disciples um, that would be recorded for posterity for us to learn from and for us to base our lives on. So one of the things that I always struggled with a bit was we'd have these Sunday sermons or exhortations as we called them where, you know, it would be talk about Christ going out and even at the beginning, his his recruiting the disciples originally, they were fishermen. Well, they've sort of been turned into heroes of a sort, I guess, within the, the environment that I came from. Um, you know, these were special men. They must have been extraordinarily special, extraordinary, um, because if they weren't, Christ wouldn't have chosen them. And on the one hand, I can get on board with that, but on the other hand, they were regular guys. They were fishermen. They were—I'm a roofer, and roofers and fishermen today in culture are kind of similar. We're a bit of a rough bunch, (laughs) and—
0: You haven't spent you know, time yet, though, Esther. Which...
1: And I can't imagine that in Christ's day that fishermen would have been highly refined, top-of-the-societal pyramid sorts of folks. They were the guys who were fishermen because somebody had to be a fisherman, and they were probably a little rough around the edges. Well, and you know,
0: not only rough around the edges, but I think, you're, you know, you... you I think a lot of churches make the disciples heroes, for sure, mm. certainly the Christadelphians. But what they also do very well is freeze out women. Because of course, Christadelphi means brothers in Christ. Yes. So I'm sorry for you, you're sort of, what is the second class Christ citizen, you know, you're, you're maybe an immigrant to the, to the biblical experience. It, that always I found strange and it was annoying. And yet again, in the Bible, there's lots of stories of women and their faith outside of the traditional roles, but those that whole notion was just not on with the Christadelphians.
1: Oh, a woman's place in Christadelphia is to serve.
0: And wear your hat? Did you have to wear hats?
1: I did. See, it's the hats,
0: right. Remember that? A head
1: covering is appropriate. Yes. Right. Yeah. And there was always much debate about what qualified as an appropriate head covering, but (laughs)
0: Yeah, those are hard to take, Uh, and no women spoke in church, no women gave prayers, no women gave exhortations, and uh, frankly, the women, the Christadelphian women in my life were, they had lots to say about Mm. every topic. As soon as church was over, they had, you know, things to say. It probably would have served the church much better if they had actually encouraged women's voices to, to help keep the brothers from you know, going down these rabbit holes of doom all the time. But again, it's a huge contrast between the parish experience and Christadelphians where, yep. you know, you've got so many women's voices here. I still, I don't think you were here for 2018 Christmas. Were you here for that? The four stories of childbirth from women?
1: No, that was just before my time. Although I have listened to those on the podcast a few times, actually. They... Make the doula part of me kind of happy. <laughs> yeah,
0: you were a doula. You have, you know, you really want it. You've, you've got a lot of experience in childbirth. And I cried every episode of those when I was in the church. I had to like leave, wiping my <laughs> eyes because they were so great. And yet again, so much was lost in other churches where you don't give the voice to women. Yeah. And and uh, you know, you allow misogyny to uh, come into the church and sort of camp out. And, and live under the benches as like a bad smell. And I don't think that's what Jesus did. And you yeah. know, Elaine Pangles, who I've been, it's Erin that's introduced me to her, uh, her historical research has shown that there was tremendous amounts of work uh, uh, done by women and what their experiences were, the both Mary's and other important figures in Jesus's life. And, and those have been crushed out of uh, the gospel by our other favorite, perhaps, topic, which is how much the Christadelphians <laughs> owe to the Catholic Church and Victorian norms and means, and really, how much they would hate us for saying that. So
1: <laughs> maybe let's do
0: a little deconstruction on Victorian times and uh, their, perhaps, dislike of the Catholic Church.
1: Well, every time I bring up the, the uh, comparison of Victorian mores and values with, in the dawn when my dad's around he gets a bit <clears throat> about it he uh he d- he's not comfortable with conversations about um how there's a lot to do with our, with the faith culture in don christadelphia in particular that stems from social tradition from victorian the victorian era um and because Because the dawn sees themselves as having the truth, which I I don't argue that really, Um, I just think that there's more to the truth than one perspective it gets a little myopic if only one view is being taken the bible's bigger than that and so is god as far as i'm concerned
0: you know and the the reason there's this victorian um overlay to the christadelphians because it was started by a guy in victorian england mm-hmm. and who came
1: did... from a catholic background <laughs> you know so <laughs> this is this was the building theory. block that it was built on which so obviously i mean of course there's correlations um but I think if <laughs> if the dawn wasn't so stodgy, <laughs> then maybe there would have been a little more flexibility and, um, uh, I don't know, growth, really, over the decades. Um, I mean, it's not quite a century just yet, I don't think. Close, but not quite, I don't think. Um, but I think that's part of the problem. Like, the the view is so... Focused and like pinpointed down that change happens so slowly that they get lost in time. They're, they're a little bit lost in time and not open to new ideas or new thoughts or understandings. Like when I've listened to Aaron talk about Bible stories that I cut my teeth on, You know, I know these stories inside out and backwards. As a Don Christadelphian, you do the readings every single night, regardless of how everybody's feeling about it, which wasn't always a good thing because too many evenings, we would all be sitting in the living room feeling so very unhappy to be there. But you will sit there and you will follow and you will read your five verses when it's your turn. And if you stumble or hesitate or don't know exactly where we are, why weren't you paying attention? And it didn't foster a very um, friendly relationship with the Bible, shall we say. It was very much a chore. Um, So, I mean, I, I am familiar with the Bible. I know the stories that are the foundation blocks for pretty much every religion. And when I came here and heard Aaron talk about these stories that we're old comrades from before I can remember things clearly. But he comes at them from such a different perspective. It's the same story. He's not trying to change it. He's not trying to make it something it's not. He's trying to shine light on a part of it that we don't think about very often, if ever. I mean, for me, this is all new stuff. Every time we have a new story that Aaron talks about, I'm like, oh, what, no, seriously? Wow, okay, I did not think about it like that. I know this story so well, I could probably recite it back to you verse for verse in the King James Version, but I did not see that. So it's, I think, unfortunately, because they're so determined not to change and not to lose the truth, the people in the dawn are, they're missing out on things like that because they're not prepared to see things from a different perspective or a different angle even like you know there's not um, everybody kind of regurgitates the same thing that's been said over and over and over again our exhortations on Sunday mornings are always about the same things, and it's always you know we have to remind ourselves that, but for the grace of God, and you know we are lowly sinners. We must not forget that we are lowly sinners who are undeserving of this great gift that God is going to present us with, at the end of days or resurrection, whichever it is that we are around for.
0: It's another theme we've we've you and I have kicked around. You know, in one of your text messages, I think it was the. Uh, grumpy overlord God <laughs> versus the God of love. And, yeah. you know, the God of forgiveness. And, and those are pretty different starting points. And, you know, as a kid, when you, when you and I grew up in the church as kids, you go into that and you, you know, you hear all this and you internalize it as, oh, well, there was this angry God and then somehow he decided to send his son who would intercede on our behalf and remind God that he's really not that mad at us. It's a very confusing message. It's a very strange yeah. message in many ways. And yet, I think, the you know, Aaron and the parish and other folks like him have uh, opened the door to say, really, is that the relationship here? Is that really what's going on? Because I am 100% with you. I can remember the King James versions of verses and stories. And yet, you know, uh, who knew that you could hear them with these new ears and, yeah. and new ways? You yeah, know? exactly. such a revelation to me.
1: Yeah, well this is the thing like you know we there's the stories in the Bible where you know we're, well the verse of he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, I mean that that used to get bandied about on a fairly regular basis. you know we have to be prepared to be open to hearing what God is saying to us. And yet every Sunday I was getting exactly the same story, just cast in a different light. Um, there was there was not really any exploration there was no bringing the Bible forward to here. That was then. And the lessons that we can learn from the stories and the things that happened back then, you know, what can we take from that and apply to today's life as opposed to bringing those stories forward to now and saying, okay, well, you know, if Christ was here today, where would he be? Well, he'd he'd be out in the homeless camps. He'd be down at the at the lineups for COVID testing. He'd be, you know, where would he be? He would be where the people are who are scared and alone and lost and ignored and that's where he would be. And...
0: Not in a church with the door closed and a bunch of praying and a bunch of this and you know yeah
1: you know he wouldn't be expecting only high society well-off people to be showing up in his church to be graced by his presence so that he could then I don't know go back to the house of the wealthiest person so that he could have you know teach another lesson to the upper echelons of society that afternoon so that then they could all go home knowing that they were properly religious I, I I don't and I mean, if if a Don Christadelphian heard me say that, they would probably be, that's not what we do. That's not how it is. That's not what we think. And
0: but I think they, they that... would
1: be being honest about what they understand things. But from where I have, you know, my perspective, when I look at my history in the Dawn and what I see people, how I see people living their lives and the, and the, the things that they say without words... What I see and what I hear doesn't match up with what I think we're supposed to be getting out of what Christ told us about how to, you know, love your neighbor and treat those who do good to those who treat you you badly. And, you know, like, I, I feel like everything has an asterisk after it.
0: There's like a frozen aspect to this. I think, you know, other churches have taken the Bible, King James Version, and sort of frozen it in time as this hallowed space. And this is, mm-hmm. you and I have talked about this and, you know, to your point about the hearing stories differently and where would Christ be if he was with us right now? You know, the the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, mm-hmm. We've so sanitized that story, right? Mm-hmm. As a, growing up, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, there was this dude, he, you know, he just came along, found this guy sick, he paid this money, and somehow that was awkward and embarrassing. For everybody, but really, the story was about that the Jews hated the Samaritans. Yeah, and I'm not
1: Jewish, and I don't know any Samaritans, so that <laughs> story doesn't apply to me. Because, well, you know, but it,
0: you know, and if we rethink, if we if we reimagine the story to what's the good Muslim? What is the good uh, mm. LGBTQ person? What is mm-hmm. the good uh, you know name people we hate
1: mm-hmm. and
0: say they're the ones that are actually doing it right? And this is you and I have talked about this as well. Why is it that secular society Talk so much about love, I don't hear that in a lot of other churches. I didn't hear that as a kid. I didn't hear love as a kid, as a Christadelphian. You hear, you know, uh, you've got to be living in fear, and you can't be. You've got to be in the world, but not of the world. There was a lot of stuff going on there. Whereas, you know, I think that's what part of my points about the Catholic influence and Mm -hmm. the Victorian influence. Mm -hmm. We've frozen this thing in time, and and you know, Christadelphians are very much don't have any idols churches are very plain well the frozen bible is their idol
1: that's the thing that's the idol
0: in that church and i think that's what we've got to unfreeze as christians and say you know what is the group that really pisses what what is the thing that we really are afraid of and we should use that as the substitute you know fill in the good samaritan line with something we're afraid of or we hate and that's who we should be looking for for lessons and how we should be reliving things
1: exactly it's the last person you would ever consider helping that actually qualifies is the samaritan in our modern story so yeah for uh which is is something that i think i mean again this is my perspective and i'm not inside everybody else's head but i think that idea is something that people in the dawn would really struggle with you know like well, yes, but the Bible condemns this behavior or that behavior or this kind of person or that kind of person, or at least their understanding of the Bible does. Um, well, that may well be the case, but does that not also mean, like, if that's your understanding, then does that not also mean that you have, like, a higher responsibility? to step up and put yourself in a situation where you're uncomfortable helping this person because your understanding is that they're not the person you should be helping. But the story of the Good Samaritan clearly says, if that's the case, that's probably the person you should be extending a hand to. And and that's something that, again, was one of those bumps that it was a rough patch in the way the story played out that I could never quite wrap my head around. Even as a a young, like a preteen, I can remember listening to my parents discuss that day's sermon on the way back home. And, you know, we always lived at least an hour away from our church. So there was plenty of time for discussion. So, and I can remember thinking like, okay, well, you know, something like the Good Samaritan. Well, who's the Good Samaritan now? Like if we're going to be a Good Samaritan, Who who is it that we're helping? Because I hear you say on a weekly basis or a daily basis sometimes that, you know, oh, this person or that person deserves what's happening to them because the Bible says that their lifestyle choices or whatever, you know, they're not part of the truth, first of all. Second of all, you know, so we don't have an obligation to help them because they're not part of our community and they're not adhering to the way the Bible says you're supposed to live your life. So... Not our responsibility. And and I always struggled with that. It was something I had a really hard time with. Now, there is a bit of a shift, I will say, um, with the younger people, people coming up within our Dawn community. There's a bit of a shift coming in that area. Um, like in terms of, of being prepared to, shall we say, uh, fraternize with people who are not part of the, the meeting. Um, but yeah, it's still, it's always been something that has been a bit of a... A burr under my saddle, shall we say?
0: No, and I remember the first Sunday I walked into the parish, which is always—it's always an odd experience to go to a new church. And I—I've yes. I've church shopped and I've gone to other churches. And I remember the first time I went as an aside to a United Church, showed up with my King James Bible, walked in, everybody looked at me like, "Hey." what's that crazy book you're holding? <laughs> you know, it was sort of a, a great little, oh man, i got to figure out this thing. But you sit in the parish, for those of you that are not with it, have never been to the building, and I remember the sign behind you. Uh, and I don't know who chose that originally. I suspect it was our buddy Aaron. But it says, if the road to spiritual maturity is leading you to despise more people, then you're going the wrong way. And I remember sitting right at the back in the bench, what that why oh, I just was so thankful to read that sign in the mm-hmm. middle of a church because that is the fatal flaw that uh, has been introduced to the churches that believe they have the unfixed and unwavering doctrinally based vision of the truth because it keeps leading you to despise people outside of the truth or, justify your lack of care and concern of love because they're outside of the church or not serve communion to people that aren't that are in messy relationships and marriages it allows you to do things that you know i don't think that christ does nothing in the new testament shows him to hold back from people in fact as aaron said you know when he's, they're out trying to talk to towns, and one town threw them out, and the disciples said, let's smite them. Let's bring down the fire and smite. And Jesus was <laughs> like, no, 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 we're not going to be smiting anybody. We're, we're moving on. You know, like, that's okay. They, they can... Everything is fine. We're not going to hate anybody. Yeah. And um, that's why I texted you. Remember, we were back and forth on this well, a couple of weeks ago, and, and on my walk with my dog, I keep seeing this bollard to prevent you from driving onto the bridge. And somebody... Has, has written on it, and there was something else, but it, it says, love is the only answer. It's kind of handwritten on this thing, and you know, it, how come secular society? Because that's a secular place. Why is that saying love? And in churches, you don't hear love.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I don't know, it has always felt to me as if um, part of the reason why the Dawn straight like, sort of puts a fence around that idea. Like, love is the only—well, yes, okay, love is the answer, true, but it's God's love for us that is the answer for us because that's what gives us the opportunity to have access to salvation. Um, But, you know, if we're too loving, then where's personal responsibility? People will just stop doing the things that they need to do to glorify God because nobody will be holding them to account. There won't be any— you know, you have to have rules, and you have to have, you have to tell, there have to be consequences for people if they're not doing what they're supposed to do, because if there's not, then, but then, this is like, this is the rhetoric that's been in the back of my head. I saw the same sign you did Mm. when I came in the first Sunday I was here. I didn't see it coming in, but I saw it when we got up to do Big Table. I stood up, turned around, and went, okay, yes, that, that, yes, absolutely, That like, religion religion should not be creating divisions between us. It should not be making us dislike people or giving us reason to be less than kind and loving and compassionate to any fellow human being or living creature, for that matter. I've got strong feelings on that front, too. But anyway, we'll move on to that some other time. But the other thing that Aaron said um, was—or maybe it wasn't Aaron— or maybe Aaron did say it, but it wasn't the first time I'd heard it. Um, I think the first time I heard it was when I watched the movie um, The Shack. Right. Um, sin is its own consequence. And that makes sense to me. That makes way more sense to me than actively punishing people for not behaving the way you think they should. I, it... it It's not, I mean, the Bible says it's not our place to judge. So if it's not our place to judge, then it's not our place to judge. And yeah, sin is its own consequence. If you do something that is detrimental to yourself or to other people, eventually you will feel the consequences of that one way or another. And I just, I I don't think it's our place to play God. That's not our job our job is to care for one another and to help one another on our journeys, whatever that journey may look like. Which is far too radical and progressive an idea for a Don Christadelphian ecclesia, but...
0: Well, it's the notion that, you know, it's spoken about a lot that, you know, God's laws and God's ways are above ours. Well, Mm -hmm. then if God's forgiveness is not ours, and it's not a... We can't presume to know what forgiveness looks like in the future. Mm. We can't presume to know what the the ending is based on a few fragmentary sentences within various doctrinal ripped out of context to say that this is what the end is going to be. It's gonna be a big giant surprise. Oh yeah. And far more universal and loving than than I think what's going on. But it speaks to the the challenge that a lot of churches have that that kind of frees a certain version of the church is that you and I don't stay. I don't. Most of my, most of the people I grew up with are no longer Christadelphians that were my age, oh, or if they are, here. they're not yeah. exactly in the happiest points in their life mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Not everybody. I have some friends and cousins that are still uh, involved, but you know, my cousin Janice is is fighting against every Sunday. It should be women <laughs> speaking. It should be this, and it should be that. And I'm like, Janice, why don't you just come to another church? Ironically, her kids are going to a parish uh, meeting uh, as sort of a mennonite meeting house very similarly aligned to the parish in oakville so you know my uh, second other my the next generation cousins are are sort of you know figuring that out as well but it's it's a tricky thing to recruit people into uh in and aaron's mentioned this before you know you hear about other groups where okay we well are gonna get baptized but it's a three-year study process. You're going to come out with a (laughs) B.A. and the truth from the Christadelphians, whether you like it or not. You're going to have a
1: a degree in theology, which you need because it's lay preachers. We don't have a pastor, which (laughs) I have to say is one of the surprising um, blessings that have come with being a part of the parish. I have never had a pastor before, and because in in Christadelphian circles, as you know, the um, the Sunday sermons, which we call exhortations, they're given on a rotation. The baptized brethren are on a rotation for giving the Sunday morning exhortations. So it's a different speaker each week. There's not really a hierarchy. Um, so there's not a particular person that you go to if you've got questions or troubles or what whatever the case may be. And before I was like, before I had decided that the parish is where I wanted to set my hat, so to speak, um, I commandeered a few hours of Aaron's time, and he was always very patient, and he answered all of my questions, and he didn't make me feel stupid or thoughtless or inconsiderate, or he just would take the time, and he would respond to what I had to say, and I was probably very apologetic for using up his time because he's kind of, you know, well, I didn't want to be an inconvenience and whatever, but I think he managed to see through that, hopefully, to see that I just, I was really grateful to have somebody specifically that I could go to and be like, okay, I'm feeling weird about this because I like the way the parish works. I like what I'm hearing here. and But it's, so at odds with what I've grown up with, and I don't know, you know, do, am I just having, like, a midlife crisis of religion, or, like, what's going on here, and he just took the time and spoke with me, whether it was via text, or on the phone, or in person, it didn't really matter, and that was a surprising and very nice thing to find out.
0: I agree. I remember going to uh, the United Church in North Bay the first time, and there was a great minister up there, um, and that's where I was, I wasn't baptized till I was 26 or 27, and he was supposed to do it, but at the last moment, he substituted in his um, student minister who baptized me, and she was a much old. she was, she was a student, but uh, just becoming a minister, but was in her 40s. And I remember at the time being slightly upset, like, no, I wanted you to baptize me. But then I, <laughs> I had to think, no, oh, wait, this is ridiculous. I'm just <laughs> going to get baptized, and and, and it's all going to work. Uh, but it was very refreshing as a Christadelphian to encounter clergy and, mm-hmm. and, um, and see the benefits of that in a way that, uh, I mean... I'm sure you can relate to when you're a Christadelphian, you read the list of, oh no, it's gonna be so and so so-and-so, brother so-and-so oh. speaking on Sunday, oh, I better book the whole day off because yeah.
1: it's just gonna be
0: <laughs> painful and long and just you're gonna be lost in in an obscure verse in in Job for, for the whole day. And and it's just going to be terrible. And then the prayer will be another half an hour. And then mm. the emblems will you know communion emblems will be another forty five minutes. You're like yep. oh please, make it stop. And so it is very refreshing uh, for for understanding and working with clergy and 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 having uh, folks that are very committed and wise and and can bring a different perspective to it. it it's a real gift for those. But I don't think there's many of us that grew up in lay-led churches outside of Christadelphians. I can't think of too many. I don't many. think
1: so, yeah. It's, it's that particular aspect of things I've not run into anywhere else before.
0: So, um, we, we've we covered a lot of ground here, and I think, um, you know, my uh, I, I've taken the plunge, Esther, and I have spoken at the parish, now on a podcast, but I'll... I'm looking forward to do it again because I got I to finish the story about the guy in the boat, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's still to be determined what happened there. Um, and I think one of the things that, that I'm going to encourage you to do is, is to turn the page on um, some of the misogyny and, and ill will that the church has shown women in the past. And we're going to look forward to hearing you get up in front of the room,
1: hmm.
0: or at least in front of the podcast, Mike, and maybe taking on some of this we've touched on a little bit more in depth, or um, you know, share your own stories about being a doula, uh, because I think that there's You know, from our our friendship that's emerged from that awkward moment when we first (laughs) met each other as two Christadelphians, like, oh, this is going to be weird. (laughs) What is Esther going to be like? And what you're like is a refreshing presence in my life and other people's lives. And I think that it's time that you take the mic.
1: Well, that is high praise and a delightful compliment. Thank you. I'm not sure about taking the mic, but I guess we'll see. My life... The last few years seems to have been about getting out of my comfort zone, so
0: well, I haven't asked you to sing yet either, so we've got yeah, to do well that that's as not well.
1: happening today anyway. You can have to wait on that classically
0: one. trained singer isn't it oh, give
1: yes. us your background on that uh, well, my mum was is a piano player, and um, she very accomplished and um when we were children, as soon as we had the motor control to do so, she taught us our basic scales on the piano and finger placement and whatnot. I cannot make my left and right hand talk to one another properly to play different things with each hand. So yeah, piano playing was not for me, but um, she very much wanted to make sure that all of her children had a musical education. So I ended up taking singing lessons. So I started when I was Seven, I think, and went through until the end of high school. So for people who are educated in that area, this will make sense for everybody else. it's just gobbledygook. But I took my grade eight um, Royal Conservatory exam for singing and for um, technique like sight reading and music reading and the theory that sort of thing um, the next step was to take my ARCT in either performing or in teaching and I didn't want to teach music and being a Christadelphian meant that I couldn't be a performer so I just kind of left it at that but.
0: so not only will we get to hear you speak but when the parish is back we're going to get to hear you take a
1: solo <laughs> Neil?
0: <laughs> oh I've got lots of ideas don't worry well uh, so we're going to wrap up our parish podcast with your 2 hours.